Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like this? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You may be seated. Thank you, Pam, for reading that. And of course, thank you, Seth, very much for the worship. Getting our hearts ready to also receive the word of God. Let me also welcome you all to worship at Christ Fellowship this morning. And will you please join me in prayer as we ask God to help us receive his word rightly as we ought to this morning. So will you bow with me? Father, we acknowledge and we know that we need your help this morning You know, I cannot make this go well in and of my own strength. Lord, you can. And Lord, we also know that you like to be asked. And so, Father, we come to you asking you for help. Lord, we need help for many areas. Lord, please open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your word. We pray also that you would do for some like you did to Lydia, and you opened her heart that she would believe the gospel. We pray that for some that may be in here this morning that don't yet know you. We also, Lord, pray for those of us who do know you. It's only by grace through faith that we're saved. We know that. But we continue to need your help, Lord, to grow up in the faith, to be the church that you want us to be, Lord. So I pray for help in all these areas and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Continuing on now in the book of Mark, we find ourselves in chapter 14, as you just heard, and we are in Holy Week still. Jesus is um, still under attack by the religious elite. As we saw here in our text, they are trying by stealth, of course, to um, capture him and kill him. This section of scripture that we read, however, is not primarily about them, though, is it? This section of Scripture gives us a beautiful picture of a very sacrificial act of worship. Uh, Because of Jesus' emphasis on how special this act was, and also through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, this gift of service and this act of worship has been recorded in Scripture for all of us to know about 
forever. And Jesus saw to it that it would be that way. Starting off, though, we don't get that happy portion of this text. Like I said, we start off by getting the portion that is about the religious elite wanting to kill Jesus. And you um, are going to pick up on how this was originally laid out, and it's laid out in a certain way in this text on purpose. But let's talk about this, though, because I've, I've titled the text this morning, titled the sermon this morning, rather, She Has Done What She Could. And we get that, of course, from Jesus' words. That's what he said. She has done what she could, which we're going to put more emphasis on later. I do want to point out, though, that you may have already picked up on the fact that this text is laid out in a certain way, and I believe on purpose, uh, negatives and positives. And we alternate between negatives and positives here in this text. Verses 1 and 2 are negative. They talk about how these Pharisees are wanting to arrest Jesus, not just arrest him, but kill him. Then verse 3 is positive because then from there we get Um, this woman wanting to honor Jesus. Then in verses 4 and 5, we go back to negative. They are grumbling about what uh, this woman did to Jesus. They thought it was a waste. And then we go back to positive again in verses 6 through the end. Verses 6 through 9 are positive because they show that Jesus saw it as a gift. So we go back and forth between men wanting to arrest Jesus, a woman wanting to honor him, then other people thinking what she did was a waste, and then Jesus seeing it as a gift. That is intentional, and I think we're supposed to see that. The contrast of negative and positive is important. I'm going to tell you why it's important, because it shows us the divergence between, number one, uh, man's sinfulness and God's holiness. Man's sinfulness, how? Well, we see some here so power-hungry and so prideful that they want to kill Jesus. God's holiness is shown in the fact that this woman was willing to do what she did. And we're going to talk about how special it was what she did because she saw Jesus for who he truly was, holy, son of God, special Messiah, the one who was to come into the world Also, the divergence between men wanting something for themselves. The religious elite, what do they want? Honor. They want praise. Jesus said that about them. You love the praises in the marketplace. You love the best seats in festivals. That's what they want. What did Judas want? We're going to see Judas was the ringleader behind all this, by the way. John tells us this. What does he want? He wants the money for himself. As contrasted with a woman wanting to give honor to Jesus. So the contrast is on purpose. Mark, I should say, the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to paint this first portion of of Mark 14 in a beautiful way. So in case that didn't jump out at you, let me now put it in front of you because it's supposed to be written in that way. Verse 1, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. The Passover, as you know, is one of the most important of all Jewish feasts. Uh, Why is it one of the most important? It was the, the, it came out of the 10th 
plague where God rescued his people from the clutches of Egypt. It was the plague, the death of the firstborn in every home unless they obeyed God and what he said that they had to do, which was putting the blood on the top and the sides of the doors. And so death would pass over that home, and that's exactly what happened. And they would have this yearly from that point on to commemorate that night. Because the Passover was what they call a feast of obligation. As you might recall when we were learning about the feasts. You were obligated to go to Jerusalem to celebrate it there. What did that mean? Well, it meant in Jesus' day, the average population at that time there was about 50,000 people. It swelled to about 250,000 people during that time. So there are, are a lot of people there at this time in Jerusalem. And so that's why in verse 2, it says these religious elite decide not to do anything with Jesus, quote, lest there be an uproar from the people. And now we know we can see why they would say that, especially during this time. The city was already packed at that time and chaotic enough, even when everything was just functioning normally. When there was no riots, it would have been chaotic enough just to go from where you were staying just to get food and things like that with 250,000 people in Jerusalem. So they did not want to create any more chaotic environment because who knows? Who knows what people have heard as they're traveling to Jerusalem? Who knows what they've heard about Jesus? They've probably heard of his works and his words, and they wanted to see what he was about. Some of them maybe even said, he is the one. And so Jesus already had somewhat of a following Though they were fickle, as you know. They're gonna, a lot of them were going to turn against him in just a few days. Well, now maybe even more are there who are somewhat persuaded that maybe he's the one. So they don't want to make these people mad. They don't want to stir anything up. They want to now wait and try to attack Jesus at a more opportune time. By the way, did you notice how they wanted to try to arrest him? It specifically says, by stealth. They wanted to do this secretly. They wanted to do it sneakily. Is that a word? I don't know. There's some English. I think there's some teachers here. My wife's a homeschooler. I'm just going to say sneakily. I'm going to invent that word if it's not one. But by stealth, this, this was the characteristic of the wicked according to Psalms, Psalm 10. Psalm 10 says that the wicked lie in wait in stealth to attack the poor. This is, this is how the wicked act. They stealthily do things sneakily in the dark. And so they were acting like the wicked according to Psalm 10. But while Jesus is in Bethany, he's not concerned about them. He's not concerned about these people at all that hate him. He's concerned about obeying the Father. And others who are around him are concerned about honoring him. Their focus is not on who hate them. Their focus is on who loves them, and that's the Father. And then these people around Jesus, they're focused on who, whom they love. While Jesus is at Bethany in verse 3, 
in the home of Simon the leper. The fact that they were in his home, you know what that meant? He wasn't a leper anymore. (laughs) More than likely, he was healed by Jesus. We don't know anything else about this man. Is this the leper that Jesus healed when the leper came to him and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean? Maybe. Is this one of the ten that was told about, perhaps? Was it one of them? Maybe. We don't know. But the fact that they are all in this man's house means he doesn't have leprosy anymore. And it's very likely that Jesus healed him. They are in the man's home who was previously a leper. He was previously an untouchable. He was previously considered cursed. And now they're in his home. This is is a picture of salvation too, in my mind. This is a picture of salvation because, because of your condition, because of your spiritual condition, you were once separated and, and far off from Jesus too. And Jesus touched you and now he has come to dwell with you. Isn't this a beautiful picture? Jesus dwelling in this man's home, reclining at table. Why? This is how they ate in that day. There, there weren't chairs. Um, they would recline at table. They would put... Um, cushions and they would lean on them. Meals that day weren't something just to shove in real quick to get energy and go back. Meals at tables were you just relaxed and fellowshiped. And this is what they're doing. And then this woman comes and does something that's not normal for a table Time of eating, this is not normal for her to do this. What does she do? She comes with an alabaster flask of ointment, a very pure, it says pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it out over his head. Now, we don't have to guess. We know who this was because of, if you hold your spot there, you can turn to John 12, or I think it'll be on the screen behind me as well. John 12, John writes about this incident as well. We know who this woman was in John 12. Two through three, listen to this. So they gave a dinner um, for him there. I'm talking about Lazarus. Lazarus was also there. Mark doesn't mention that, but John does. Lazarus who was raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Listen to this. The house was filled with the fragrance from the perfume. So we know who did this now. This is Mary. This is not Mary Magdalene who cried upon Jesus' feet and washed them with her hair, dried them with her hair. And this is, this is a different Mary. This is Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus, Lazarus who, who Jesus raised from the dead. She's doing this different Mary, lots of Marys in that time. We were talking about that just this morning. She brings out this flask of ointment. It says pure nard, very costly. Let's talk about that. We don't know where she got this from. I happen to think maybe, and this is just speculation, but because I'm a father, I think this may have been something that this dad, Marion, Martha's dad, when they were born, probably something that 
after every month of work, puts a little bit of money away, puts a little bit of money away for something very special for these girls when they are of age, of, of marrying age, and he does something very special for him. Perhaps this is something that he saved up for for so many years. Why do I say so many years? Because the value of this nard, pure nard, we're told uh, how much it was because they want to say, we should have sold, sold this and given it to the poor. The value would have been a year's wages. So think about in our day, average, let's just say the average American household for a year's wages. I'm just going to say somewhere around forty to $50,000 average, about fifty, let let's say. $50,000 bottle of perfume. $50,000. Let's say Mary's dad did give this to her when she was of marrying age, some, some, some gift. This would have been quite the gift. He would have had to have saved up for this for many, many, many years. This would have been something equivalent to, hey, here's the college fund we've been saving up for you since your birth. Here you go. Something equivalent to that. It's an alabaster flask of that. Alabaster is this white, um, translucent um, gypsum. Can be kind of like a rock. Can be formed, and so they would use this. It's very beautiful, and they put this pure nard in it. By the way, the fact that it's pure nard um, also shows how costly it was, because a lot of times the the poor people that couldn't afford this stuff, guess what? They would dilute it with some sort of carrier oil so you could still get some sort of quantity that looked like a gift because just to give this much to your bride in a little bitty container and say, it's pure nard. doesn't seem so special, does it? But if you can dilute it, it, it looks like more. And then you give something to her and say, it's, it's nard. It's not pure nard, but it's nard, sweetie. Where did nard come from? It came from this, this root of this plant. From what I read, because I'm, I'm not a nard expert, from uh, the Himalayas. And so this would have also had to have been imported. That incurs a cost. Putting it into alabaster, that incurs a cost. And the fact that it was pure nard too. This wasn't <clears throat> the diluted stuff. Mary's dad or where, wherever she got this from got her the good stuff. This would have lasted her for the rest of her life, by the way. I believe that it was put into a container that had a very small opening at the top, which is why she was forced to break it in order to pour it out. The fact that it was pure nard too and had a probably a very small opening at the top meant that if you were to accidentally knock the bottle over, all this liquid gold wouldn't just go all over the floor and be wasted. If it was to be knocked over, it's got a small opening. It's not all going to spill out, plus small opening just because you just want a little bit. It's pure nard. This is why I also believe she had to break it to pour it. You'd never do that with this, ever pour it all out. And she does that. She breaks it. Mark says, pours it over his head. John says, uh, pours it and anoints his feet with it and wipes uh, his feet with her hair. So which one was it, head or feet? It was both. <laughs> she did both actions, anointing his 
head, which was a custom of that day too. That's why Jesus says to the Pharisees, whenever Mary Magdalene comes in and cries over his feet and washes and says, you provided me with no ointment for my head. She's done this. So sometimes that was a custom to give some oil for the head just to make the hair look nice. She does both, pours it over his head and his feet and pours it all out, all of it, 50 something thousand dollars worth of ointment. She just goes for broke, literally breaks it and pours it all out, everything. (laughs) This would have been very shocking to see. Because of the huge sacrifice that it was, especially Martha. Think about Martha knowing probably when Mary received this, how she received it, what a sacrifice it was for her to get it, what a gift it was, and then her seeing her little sister just pour it all out on Jesus. She would have said, oh my goodness. I knew that she thought Jesus was special. Now I see how special she believes Jesus to be. Now I really get it. And I love the fact that John mentions this. John mentions certain details that someone who made up a story usually wouldn't mention. He mentions certain bread being barley bread. He mentions a catch of fish being 153 fish. He mentions here, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It was filled with the fragrance. How could you not smell it? She pours every bit of it out. You say, Cohen, why are you laboring this so much? We get it. I just, it's hard for us to understand what an act this was. It's just really hard for us to get this. It would be like your father worked his whole life to save up for your college tuition and it was a monumentous amount of sacrifice for him. And then you give it all away. You just give it all away. And she pours it over his head and the whole room is filled with the fragrance. And then we go to the negative now, don't we? It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. And everybody's smelling and seeing it. And all of a sudden, verse 4, there were some who said to themselves indignantly. You know what it means to be indignant? It means to be really angry. Why was this ointment wasted <laughs> like that? <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Oh, Judas. But this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Again, that's about a year's wages. And they scolded her. It says they. Let's look at at John 12, 6. John says this in John 12, 6, that it was Judas who brought this up. Uh, Actually, I'm sorry. Look at 12, 4. 12, 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples said, I mean, who was the one who was going to betray him? Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So 
John only mentions Judas. Mark mentions they. So I think it's clear to say that Judas was definitely the ringleader of this grumbling. He was definitely the one that nudged the person who was next to him, whoever was next to him, and said, why was this wasted? Look at this waste, and we could have sold that for this much. Probably the person next to him maybe just drawn into the conversation or maybe nodded like, yeah, maybe you're right. It doesn't take much for complaints to, to spread. That's why I heard someone once say, if you can find the negative person at your work, fire him or pay him to stay home because it spreads like a disease. It does. So here's this wonderful thing happening, and all of a sudden, this stick-in-the-mud Judas, who's really only concerned about himself, we, we learn later, says, why was this ointment wasted like that? You know, some people are going to look at your devotion to Jesus, your sacrifice for Jesus, and say, look at that waste. You're wasting your life. I remember when I first got saved, I had an uncle who I told that I was a Christian now, and he was kind of making fun of that. And then one of his complaints to me about going down this route is he said, there's not much money in the ministry. He looked at that and said, essentially, you could get so much more money if you weren't going into the ministry, Cohen. You're wasting your abilities. If you go into the ministry, you could have more money. People are going to look at your, perhaps, for example, if you work for a ministry, usually, they call that volunteer work, usually, right? Like, um, the volunteers at the pregnancy testing center. I made a joke with one of them the other day. She has been volunteering a lot more, and I said, hey, listen, I'm on the board. I'll see if we can (laughs) double your pay, and we both laughed. Said that to some of the deacons here, too. You're doing a great job. I'll talk to Butch and see if we can double your pay. A lot of times what we do for the kingdom is free, isn't it? It's just free because we love and we're doing it out of the love that, is God, that God has put us into our heart. Sometimes people, I remember when we were going onto the mission field, some people were thinking, that's just crazy. It's just what you're doing is so backwards. And get used to that. Someone could be in the very room with Jesus Christ, who'd been around Jesus Christ for three years, worked with him, saw him do miracles, all this, and saw someone do this wonderful act of worship to him and said, why this waste? So if it's possible for Judas Iscariot, to have lived with Jesus and be in the same room with Jesus and see an act of worship done to Jesus as waste, don't you think it's possible for people to look at your life and think that too? So here's what I'm saying with that. Get used to it and get ready for it and know that it's very normal and don't let it discourage you. Let it encourage you because Jesus would look at you and say, join the club. They did it to me. They're going to do it to you. Why 
this waste. <laughs> wow. It could have been sold for this much and given to the poor. Do you see his motive here? Do you see his motive? He, he wants the poor to be helped, doesn't he? Judas, he's so noble. He wants the poor to be helped, doesn't he? Wait a second. John 12, 6. John 12, 6. He said this. This is what John tells us. Not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged in the money bag, used to help himself to what was put in it. You know what he was thinking? I could have had 300 silver coins that I carried around and took out of, and nobody would notice, because that's a lot of coins. Nobody would notice that it's skimmed off the top a little bit. No one would notice. Because I'm in charge of the money bag. You know what he was thinking? I could have had so much more if she wouldn't have done that. I could have had more. And he's selfish, and he's evil. And he got what he deserved in the end. And he's still getting it, isn't he? Hell is forever, just like eternal life is forever. And he scolds her. He's angry. He's indignant that he didn't get what he wanted. He's angry that Jesus was honored instead of him. And you look at that, and I look at that, and we say, gosh, he is just pure evil. Like, he makes Adolf Hitler look like a Sunday school boy who's getting all the answers right. I mean, he just, he's evil. And I say, yes, he is, and there but for the grace of God go I. We're not better than him. You may be on a different level of evil, than he is, if you don't know the Lord Jesus yet, not as deep of an evil level as him, but you're not better than him. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you can become just like him. And I'll tell you what, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're actually on his trajectory. You're on your way to becoming like him. He's just further down the path than you are. He is. Don't stay on that path. Jesus is speaking to you today through this text, telling you, you can repent, you can come to him. I'm telling you, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Christ Jesus has died to take the punishment that you deserve, that you deserve. You deserve it. And Christ Jesus took it, though he did not deserve it. And he drank the full cup of the wrath of God. He drank it down to the very dregs, and he died he rose again on the third day and lives forever to make intercession for his saints. Forever. And you can be saved today if you will turn from your sins, sins like this of selfishness, and turn to Jesus Christ. And Jesus speaks up. Jesus himself. He doesn't wait for anyone else to say anything. Jesus speaks up. Now we turn to the positive again here. And he says, leave her alone. Don't you like that? Jesus takes up for you, by the way. You need to know that. When people are pointing at you and mocking you and laughing at you behind your backs, Jesus is saying, that's my boy, or that's my girl in heaven. You just can't see it, 
but it's there. Jesus is taking up for her. He says, leave her alone. Just like Jesus said to Paul when he was Saul on the road before he came to know Jesus, he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You touch my people, you're touching me. Jesus says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? And then he gives a window into what this is really about. He gives a heavenly view as to what he's seeing and the Father's seeing and the Spirit's seeing and the angels are seeing. He says, let me tell you what's actually happening here, Judas. She has done a beautiful thing. You called it waste. I'm telling you, it's beautiful. If Jesus uses that adjective when he's describing something you've done, he's very pleased. He calls it beautiful. And he's the creator of beauty. He created beauty, so he knows what it looks like. You know, don't you, that God didn't just create a functional world for us. He created a beautiful one, didn't he? This world isn't just functional. It's not just black and white and just does things. He made it beautiful, and he didn't have to. He's the creator of beauty because beauty flows from him. He himself is beautiful and can create things that are beautiful and can also define things as beautiful because he is beautiful himself. And that's what he's saying about what she's done. And he says, you're so concerned about the poor, Judas? Let's talk about them for a second. You want to help them so badly? Okay, here's your avenue. You'll always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them. You want to help them so badly, Judas? There's the door. Go help them. There's plenty of them. But you're not always going to have me with you. She's done what she could. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. Let's talk about that phrase for a second. She's done what she could. I want each of you to know that when you are saved and you come into the kingdom, the Father, the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they all have a part in making you into now a kingdom person who's concerned about kingdom things. And you're recruited into the camp of the ones that are going to now advance the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is now within you And you have the work of advancing the kingdom. You don't only have the work of it, you have gifts. You've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit to do that work. And we make kingdom work a bit more complicated than it has to be. Notice what it says here. She's done what she could. She's done what she could. She did what she could do. And what I want to encourage you is... Do what you can do to worship the Lord, to advance the kingdom. She did what she could. And I love the fact that he worded it that way. Because we're all given what we need to minister. We're all given what we need to be a blessing. We're all given what we need right now to honor the Lord Jesus. We have it. She did what she could. And I want you to do what you can 
I want to encourage you with, with this phrase. Every member with a ministry. Every member with a ministry. I really, really badly want to encourage you to have some type of ministry that you're doing. Some of you already do. Some of you already have ministries, things that you're doing. Some of you don't publicize it. Um, most of you don't. And um, I just happen to know what some of you do. For example, Pam has a, a blog that she does that reaches hundreds of people in different countries as well, right? In different countries even. She's very devoted to that. She's been doing that for a long time. It's, it's like her little baby. It's like her little thing that she loves. And she's very good at it. Other families, like, uh, for example, the Harrisons. You guys probably don't know this, and they won't mind me sharing it. They are uh, taking a class right now to become uh, respite helpers for foster parents. When foster parents need a break, <laughs> if foster parents needs, need breaks, <laughs> they're going to be the ones that, hey, we'll take the children for you for a weekend or for a few days. They're doing that now. I don't care if all you do is bake cupcakes and take it to the nursing home. Do what you can do. She did what she could. Every member with a ministry. I want to just really encourage us. And I don't mean something that you're even doing here at the church. You want to do something here at the church? Awesome, come see me. I'm not talking about that. I just mean you do what you can do. And usually what you can do is what you like to do. Usually your giftings are something that you like to do. Something that maybe you're doing already, even. I just want to encourage you. Do what you can do for the kingdom. Mary did what she could do. Please, do what you can do. I really want every member to have some ministry that he or she is doing. Jesus gives us a little bit more commentary on what she was actually doing. Did Mary know that her act of pouring this ointment on Jesus' hair and pouring it all over his feet and then wiping, her, wiping his feet with her hair to dry them off, did she think in her mind, I'm doing this to prepare him for his burial? We don't know if she knew that or not. We don't know if she was thinking that because even the disciples didn't get it that he was going to die and be raised again. They still didn't get it even. So did she know that she knew <laughs> that she was doing this for this purpose. I don't know. I'm thinking more than likely she looked at Jesus, loved him, and said, how can I honor him? What do I have? What's the best I can give him? What's the best I can give him? And then she thought, the alabaster flask of pure nard, and probably thought for a second, should I? And probably went back and forth for a second, like, I'm never going to give that back again. I'll never get that. I'll never get something like that ever again. That is the gift of gifts. And then she said, but I want to do it. I'm going to do it. And she did it. She goes over and she's like, this opening is too small. I want to pour it all out. And she has to break the top off. And she just pours it out. Wow. And Jesus gave us commentary on what was actually happening. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. Jesus told her and told everyone what she was actually doing 
She was just doing what she wanted to do. Jesus was telling what she actually did, was preparing for burial. Why do I bring that up too? You might do something just because you want to do it, just because the Lord Jesus has put it on your heart. He's not always going to give you the heavenly commentary that's going to come from your act. He's not. You don't know. There's, there have probably been people that have come to you at some point and said, you know, years ago when you said this, or years ago when you did this, you know, that led to this and led to this and led to this. I don't think Jeff Shelnut knew when he invited me to church, when he said, hey man, you want to come to church with me? You don't have to dress up at this church. You could just come. Back when I was 19, 18 actually. I got saved when I was 19 though. He probably didn't think, I'm going to invite him this Sunday and he's going to get saved immediately. Because that didn't happen. I didn't get saved immediately. But I did get saved. And it was just because somebody said, you want to come to church? He did what he could do. He invited me to church. (laughs) And I got saved. Jesus didn't give him the heavenly commentary behind what his acts would one day do. He also didn't give him the heavenly commentary when that same Jeff Shelnut said, hey, would you like to start coming to a Bible study with me? And that's the Bible study that ended up getting me interested in missions that ended up having me go on a mission trip that led to us becoming missionaries. Did God tell him that was going to happen? Nope. She's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And Jesus is so touched by this He turns this into eternal scripture. He ensures it will always be remembered everywhere. Even when I was a missionary, I made sure that in the village that I was preaching in a lot, I made sure I shared this, especially this at some point while we were there, because I remember Jesus saying, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So I said, well, I better tell about it too. (laughs) I better make sure that I share it because Jesus wanted it shared wherever the gospel is told. So I'm going to tell the gospel. And at some point, I'm going to mention this text because that's what Jesus wanted. He eternalized this act that somebody else pointed at and said, what a waste And Jesus said, no, I'm going to etch it into the fabric of eternity now because it's going to always be in this book, this one that I say about the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. It's going in that book. You know, I wonder wonder what you have done, what you will do that the angels are going to talk about forever. What have you done or what will you do in honoring Jesus and walking in obedience to him that is going to be talked about in heaven? I wonder, don't you? And don't you want it to be? Not for your honor, because it even feels weird, like even when, even when I'm down there and Maybe Butch comes up here and says nice things about me and my teaching and me being a pastor. Part of me is like, thank you, that's nice. But also part of me says, okay, thanks, but let's just keep talking about God because he's way better than me. Let's just talk about God more. 
I really don't deserve, and I appreciate you. And part of me likes to be appreciated. Who doesn't like to be appreciated? But I'm like, but there's someone way better for these people that I know. And he's the Lord. So I want everything to point to him. And any of our actions that are pointed at in heaven and and commemorated are actually done so because of what they really point to. Like Jesus really pointed to, she's prepared my body for burial. She's done something for me. It's honored me and what God is doing in the world with his death, burial, and resurrection, right? So, guys, in conclusion, and then in application, in the case of the religious elite not recognizing and also misunderstanding who Jesus truly was, it calls them to hate Jesus and want to kill him. And in the case of Judas Iscariot, who both recognized and understood who Jesus the Messiah was, his love for sin and love for self caused him to love money more than Jesus. So some people were not recognizing Jesus for who he truly was. They were, they were missing it. And they hated him and wanted to kill him. But then you have someone who recognizes Jesus for who he is. He's like, yeah, he's the Messiah. And I've seen him do these miracles. And I've heard his words. But I still love money more than I love him. So just, I want you to know that sin is deceitful and tricky. And don't think that you're in if you're not in. It's possible to be like this. And I'm saying that on purpose to shock you and to make sure that you're truly in the faith. Make sure that your allegiance, what is your real allegiance in your heart? These are two very different types of people here, but they both really hated Jesus. One's would, one group would say it with their mouth, and the other one would show it with his actions. But seeing and understanding Jesus rightly caused Mary to love him and do what she could for him. Jesus receives her act of worship He recognizes it as preparation for his burial, and then also he he honors her act as beautiful and worthy of worship. I mean, worthy of remembrance, rather. So in, in application, if you see and understand Jesus rightly for who he truly is, a change is going to happen within you, isn't it? The Holy Spirit will have caused your heart to love Jesus like you didn't love him before. It'll cause you to love the Word of God like you didn't before. If those things haven't happened to you, pray to God that they would. Pray to God that He would open your eyes and and help you see Jesus the way Mary saw Jesus. And it calls you to do these acts of love like Mary did towards Jesus and, and for the kingdom. Guys, the Lord has equipped you, like I said, with tools. The Holy Spirit has given you certain giftings for your service for him. Every member of the kingdom needs to have a ministry for the king. Every member of the kingdom needs to have a ministry for the king. I want to see every member with a ministry. 
At the beginning of this sermon, I said that Mary's gift of service and worship has been recorded in Scripture and will therefore live on forever, I said. I've said it throughout as well. Listen to this. Your service, your gift, your ministry of worship for the king could cause a lost soul to live on forever. Her act is recorded and lives on forever. Your act could cause a lost soul to live on forever. So guys, I'm going to end with this sentence then. Let's keep that in mind. Let's keep this, the salvation of souls in mind as well when we do these acts of service. Service for the saints, to be sure, but also when we seek the lost, that they may be found. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that this was recorded in Scripture forever for us to read about and be encouraged by and also to be challenged by. And Father, I want to pray that you have already and that you would continue to put on the hearts of all of us in here the ministry that you would have us do, the ministry that you would have us start, or the ministry that you would have us continue doing perhaps. Lord, let us be encouraged by the example of our dear sister Mary. And let us be empowered, of course, by our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray.